You got to compliment Lucas's holiday festive uh, Oxford shirt there. <laughs> it's a flannel. It's a red flannel for, from Christmas. So I thought I'd wear it. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Today is December 30th, 2022. I'm Eric Planey. I am Lucas Finko. And we are the Festivus Holiday New Year Pirates <laughs> of Clean Tech. Yar, <laughs> rest of us yar. <laughs> Although uh, we're taping what it's eleven eighteen a.m., I want to go for a bike ride, so I'm uh, drinking unhealthy diet coke and gluten free Oreos to get ready for my bike ride. <laughs> no, no festivist holiday brew right now. <laughs> I did see uh, Rand Paul's uh, festivist post of the year again of uh, government largess and misspending. So if you want a good laugh, that's a good one to read. Uh, for those who are actually watching us on YouTube, all, all three of you, uh, you got to compliment Lucas's holiday festive uh, Oxford shirt there. <laughs> it's a flannel. It's a red flannel for, from Christmas. So I thought I'd wear it instead of yeah. my normal green. You, yeah, it looks like you fell into the packaging uh, vat of, uh, you know, at uh, Scotch 3M <laughs> In the North Pole. <laughs> I love it. It looks great. I should, you know, I'm totally non-festive right now. I'm all in blue, so I don't know why. Yeah, the weather is beautiful today, uh, and it will be tomorrow morning, too, due to an unusual warm front coming through. So, yeah, if you're a skier like me, you're a little upset right now, but if you like to be outside, it's a good time. It is. Uh, I've had the week off, which has been great. We We closed our business for the week, getting ready for a very robust first quarter, so catching up on paperwork, sleep, movies, just, I'm in, a, I'm in great spirits right now. So, uh, and uh, before we get into our articles, we have to say, I mean, just what a great episode we had last time with uh, Stephanie Diem of the University of Wisconsin. I mean, uh, she, I mean, last I checked, we hit almost 150 viewers on YouTube. Nobody watches us on YouTube and here Stephanie's pulling in that many. So we know the numbers for her were just great. And we got so much great feedback from uh, our audience and from friends of ours about finding a fusion expert, you know, days after the big announcement coming from a uh, department of energy. Yeah, it was a great episode. So uh, we had a great year too. It's a good time to reflect back on the year and, uh, you know, spend some time with your family and friends and think about what happened in the last year and what, you know, what you want to do next year. I mean, it was a little bit of a tough year for me outside of the pirates of clean tech, you know, uh, obviously getting hit by an SUV walking out of the gym is never a good thing. But happy to say that I'm nearly back to 100%. And, uh, uh, you know, happy that I've been uh, over a year now in, in clean tech directly, running a construction tech firm that we'll talk about a little bit more as the time goes on. So uh, it was a challenging year, but I'm really looking forward to 2023. I feel great about what's going to come ahead. And I think a lot of people do as well. A lot of optimism, especially in our world of clean. Yeah, in clean energy, there's a lot of optimism. There's a lot of great things finally happening. Uh, it's a very exciting time to be in the industry. So, yeah, I'm yeah. pretty sure 2023 is going to be blockbuster for the industry. So, this is a good segue, right? Because we were looking at articles. It's just the two of us, no guests. <laughs> and I like to say we're actually going to recap the recaps because a lot of great industry pieces recapping 2022 in their specific fields of clean tech, sustainability, et cetera. And I think uh, both of us have found some really good articles kind of capping what happened. And then uh, next year, I suspect we'll probably start the year with uh, some good, you know, 
prognoses about what 2023 could bring us. Yeah, that sounds good. I think, yeah, we'll definitely do that. Yeah, so before I get into my 2022 recap articles, I wanted to bring this one up from Politico dated. I can't remember what date this was, but this is really just highlighting our market here. Uh, This is from 1219 Marie French. Uh, Go back to the article really quick. New York passes sweeping plan to reduce emissions and lead the way on solving climate change. This was a climate plan plan approved on Monday uh, that's actually going to enact what they call, instead of cap and trade, they're going to call it a cap and vest program similar to California's and their cap and trade system. But this really is something that both Governor Hochul and my Serta head, Doreen Harris, is going to fully embrace and get in front of the legislator with sweeping reforms. And obviously, as somebody who's involved in construction technology, I'm really happy to see this because <laughs> we're talking about electrifying all buildings in New York State in the next 20, 30 years and taking fossil fuels out of all the buildings, which, uh, you know, is going to be a difficult slog. I think technology has to improve, especially when it comes to like heat pump technology, uh, replacing natural gas that is starting to happen. Uh, But this is just a great article talking about where they want to be. They're trying to cut emissions 40% from 1990 levels by 2050. I think they're going to get there. Uh, New York is being very aggressive. There's a little bit of feedback and blowback from the legislature. It sounds like, uh, you know, some, and of course, we're all worried about supply chain issues, uh, you know, especially in offshore market, offshore wind that New York is a catalyst in. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But I thought it was a great article to really cap the year that a state like New York is, you know, as prolific now as, say, California uh, in really being aggressive on a green energy policy. So hats off to the state of New York. Yeah, it's good to see that they're not just um, treating it like a tax. Uh, I never liked that idea. I, I I only like to cap and trade in the in the concept that the the money should be used for carbon capture, which is kind of the point, in my opinion. So to see cap and invest kind of as a uh, middle ground until we can get uh, CCS into some sort of uh, affordable industrial scale a process. So good to see. Right. So definitely worth checking out. Um... And it gets in a lot of detail about how the plan is going to be implemented. Um, so, you know, feel free to read it. They talk a lot about uh, renewable natural gas. And, uh, you know, they've talked about different types of hydrogen, which I think is still going to be a bit of a risk. But the momentum is there, and I think it will continue for next year. Well, and the implementation is a little difficult, too. Like, uh, I presume they're going to be putting this tax, so to speak, on on fuels. I mean, I don't know if you know, but Europe has like a ton of taxes on their fuels. When you buy fuel in Europe, it's mostly tax. Uh, And they're actually a little jealous of the U.S. because we have almost no taxes on our fuel. So um, is that how they're going to do it? Uh, I don't know. I'd be interested to see. Sure. And there's a lot of people in the state who will not be happy about the tax aspect, right? But I think as we migrate towards more fuel-efficient vehicles, whether it's hybrids or fully electric, you know, um, gasoline taxes are going to be a disproportionately smaller part of uh, disposable income for people. Uh, and then the other taxes on a kind of a commercial basis, you know, for, for fuels, uh, that also will be somewhat controversial. But again, you know, if, if that is translating into actual investment dollars being deployed into the state, creating jobs and improving the GDP of the state, on a net net, it's a win. So that's what we have to kind of keep an eye on. 
Cool. We definitely need the investment dollars. I was listening to someone on Bloomberg the other day stating that we need three to four trillion dollars per year invested to get to net zero by 2050. So we certainly need the investment dollar. That's a, that's a global number, I think, right? Or is that yeah, it? correct. Yeah. So, you know, think about it. The U.S. is a, what's the U.S. GDP? 20 trillion? Close to 20 trillion? Uh, 20 or 30 trillion or something like that. Yeah. That, that number doesn't scare me. Uh, what scares me is just comp- uh, countries not doing their part fast enough. You know, China, India, et cetera. <laughs> Yeah, well, okay. Still a, lot of, still a lot of coal being burned in us. We can talk about it. <laughs> All right. This is from a green briz, greenbiz.com, very reliable media source that we've gone to a lot. Amber Rolt, uh, November 30th, so a couple weeks old, but and obviously something very impactful for me, full disclosure, but green construction tech firms enjoy VC investment boom. Uh, you know, new reports says venture capital investment in low-carbon building startups hit a record $2.2 billion in 2022. And I think this, again, is just going to keep growing. Um, as somebody putting in a solar and construction technology, you know, manufacturing operation right on the Massachusetts-New York border, it's music to my ears that the three best states for green building incentives are Massachusetts, New York, and Maryland. Um, this is only going to get better because people are now recognizing that buildings are one of the biggest carbon emitters, uh, you know, across the board. The word, the Green Building Council uses the statistic, 40% of greenhouse gases come from buildings. And that's from both the making of the materials that go into the buildings and the operation of buildings themselves. Hmm. So you read this whole thing, uh, you're talking, you know, there's some interviews with some uh, chief investment officers of I think AO PropTech, some others, you know, they talk about why the market is really ready and ripe for clean tech and uh, construction tech investment. And again, it's just everyone, especially the Fortune 500, especially the big boxes, they all completely recognize that they have ESG mandates they have to achieve. In order to have those, there are buildings that they operate in have to come down to being a net zero building. Um, so this is just a great article. That $2.2 billion is just going to skyrocket, in my opinion, between 2023 and 2025. So... <laughs> I think buildings are really now, like I say, I've said this in the past. I apologize for repeating myself. You've had wind farms, solar farms, electric vehicles, and I think buildings are next. Uh, So this is the low-hanging fruit. And now the construction tech VC market is ready to take on new investments. I'm happy to hear that. Shame of self-promotion because I'll be coming to the C market and the Series A market myself in 2023. So let's keep this momentum going. Yeah, correct. So there are three places you need to hit if you want to reduce emissions, uh, transportation, buildings, and electricity generation. Mm-hmm. And so the two, the first two transportation and buildings are the ones that uh, pretty much all of us have some control over uh, in our everyday lives, right? Uh, in electricity generation, you cannot. So if you're not working in one of those three areas, then you're not working to reduce uh, greenhouse gas emissions. So so good article. Yeah. This is my first of the 2022s. My second one is from Energy Wire, which I think eenews.net is their, their handle. Mm-hmm. And again, offshore wind in 2022, billions in bids and new confidence. Mm-hmm. And this is mainly talking about the U.S. market, but boy, I'm so happy to see this. Offshore wind has just made so much sense to me for so long. Because man, think about when onshore wind became prolific in the plain states. 
They were worried about location versus transmission, consistency of the wind blowing. That latter aspect is just mitigated by offshore. Offshore just has more consistent wind blowing, and you're able to put in these incredibly large turbines, some of them being, you know, you know, 10 megawatts, you know, and probably you're going to start having 20 megawatts. You're talking about having electrolyzers right in, in the stems of the turbine so you can create green hydrogen. This is already being beta tested in Europe. But this is amazing. The White House, go up real quick. The White House is committing to 30 gigawatts of offshore by 2030. Yeah, 2030. And that's enough to power 10 million homes. Mm-hmm. It's mind-blowing to me. So, and I think we're finally getting the momentum there. They, th- they talk a lot about the, you know, the, the auction process that took place, especially in New Jersey and New York, I think, which has led to, uh, you know, significant investment dollars. I want to say 440, uh, 440 million was that first auction, I believe, for New York. Now, we did an article just two weeks ago about California is also starting an auction process. Uh, you know, the Pacific Ocean is getting it. Um, so we are starting, you know, 15 gigawatt floating offshore wind. So as offshore wind technology gets better, you know, these floating offshore wind turbines in which they're going to have anchors and supports, the technology has gotten better. You're just going to see more of this. It's more prolific. I don't think it gave too many numbers about 2023 forecast for installations. I think everyone is, is a little bit hesitant because of supply chain. And uh, actually, what I like about this article, it does talk about some of the pitfalls. And one of those, of course, is the supply chain. Um you know, of course, there's a little bit of uncertainty about pricing in the market. And then the one that they talked about is, is kind of the failure, which is really, you know, uh, Cape Wind in Massachusetts not coming to fruition. And, you know, they're talking about whether or not they have to walk away from the, the leasing there because the cost structure is so different now than it was when that auction took place for um, for the leasing on the rights. So it's not a perfect situation right now. The momentum is there. Uh, people are going to have to be very careful about cost control, supply chain, and also making sure that, you know, these things are going to be a positive ROI based upon structured leases that make sense. Yeah, they have the Orsted CEO in here complaining about the auction prices and that they were too high. I mean, yeah, go go blame the auction process in general. I mean, people bid it because they're willing to pay it. So I, I don't think he has a very good argument here. But, you know, if they bid it, they're going to make money. So, yeah. Uh, I don't think price is a problem. I mean, <laughs> wind turbines don't burn fuel, so they have very low variable cost. It's all in uh, fixed costs and just uh, uh, distributed over the life of the asset, right? So, And I think you just hit it right there. Life of the asset is kind of the X factor right now, right? Because they're putting these massive turbines out there. Um, and, you know, these are all really new and going up now. And you can only simulate their longevity for so much real world scenarios going to dictate. So, you know, I, I understand he's hedging a little bit there. Yeah, but it's still going to be some of the lowest price electricity we're, we're going to generate. So I, I'm not too concerned about the bids. I thought it was a good sign that there was so much interest in developing wind offshore on the eastern coast of the U.S. That is a very good sign. And hopefully we'll see more areas open up now because states are learning that they can... <laughs> generate billions of dollars by leasing these areas. Uh, let's get going. Well, what I'm hoping, uh, as, as many of you know, I have a great view of the Hudson River uh, in the Hudson Valley. And at some point, I'm going to start seeing barges with wind turbine blades being, you know, that are being assembled and manufactured in Port of Albany. And they're going to be barged on down to Long Island. 
and Isn't that cool? I cannot wait to see that. I'm so looking forward to seeing the first one. You know, we may have a little balcony party to celebrate it. <laughs> Great article. This again, I'm very bullish about offshore wind, and I think we all should be. Um, yeah, I love it. So I really picked the three that I really love. I decided not to pick electric vehicles, but I decided to go with a, a discussion about construction tech, offshore winds, and then the kind of new personal one I really love is ag tech, uh, agricultural technology, because I think we need to really focus on ag tech a little bit faster as a country than we have been. There's a couple of reasons why. You know, obviously there's been a ton of uh, global food disruption due to the drought in California, due to the problem in Ukraine, uh, in the war with, you know, wheat just not being um, unstable in markets. You're seeing food inflation as a result of that. So I think ag tech has to go out there. So this is from agfundernews.com. This is from December 22nd, Jennifer Markston. How agri-food corporates define regenerative agriculture in 2022. So this isn't really about the entire world of ag tech. This is really about ag tech and kind of carbon capture, if you will. A lot of people think that agriculture can be doing a better job using some either incredibly traditional techniques or modern technology to put carbon back in the ground to make soil richer and therefore more regenerative. Mm. And a lot of big corporates actually talked to like one of the, I think, heads of sustainability of PepsiCo, talking about how they want to see their supply chain be a little bit better at this. But the one thing I'm just going to touch on really quickly, and I'd like to dig into this further for the future, is this concept now that we're starting to look at Native American practices and indigenous practices globally, where some of their practices were the ultimate in ESG and sustainability, especially when it comes to regenerative agriculture and making sure, uh, you know, land could be reused efficiently and for the highest yields possible by making sure that soil quality maintains itself and putting carbon back into the soil using organic processes is something very uh, distinct and something that should be done. So a lot of uh, big corporates here are talking about that because they know it's not just a marketing thing. It's not a greenwashing thing, but it's better for their bottom line when they have a more stable and productive supply chain. I think they're uh, interviewing one of the heads of InBev, AB InBev. Obviously, they use a lot of uh, hops and wheat and into their uh, alcohol products. So, you know, it's our best interest, man. We want to keep drinking in the future. We got to have sustainability in the agricultural supply chain. And this article just talks about regenerative agriculture. So I highly recommend it. Yeah, I mean, if if our listeners don't know what's going on in this article, definitely something worth looking into. I saw a great documentary about this too, called uh, "The Biggest Little Farm" or something like that. Um, very excellent. It will illustrate exactly what the issues are. If you're not aware, we do need to be taking better care of our soil. Current modern agriculture processes are not really that sustainable. So. Uh, yeah, definitely an area that needs a lot more uh, focus. So I just wrote an op-ed for my hometown newspaper talking about ag tech. And for example, in the state of Ohio, there's 78,000 farms and the average farm size is 175 acres. And what I like about ag tech is I think it gives the ability for small farms to com- to stay competitive against the large institutional ones by by being smarter about technology deployment and reducing costs and getting product to market faster as a result and getting higher yields. So I'm a big fan of ag tech and I hope it continues, uh, you know, well into the future. Yeah. Great. I think that's it right for me, right? That's it for you. Yeah. Excellent. Great, great stories. So I'm going to continue with kind of the, uh, 2022 and review theme here. This from energy storage news, it's energy storage.news. If you want to go there, 
energystorage.news top 10 news stories of the year 2022. So just in case we missed it, which a lot of these we did, uh, here are the top 10 news stories in energy storage. World's biggest battery storage system comes back online after months of shutdown. This is great. This is the one in Monterey Bay, California. Uh, 400 megawatts and 1600 megawatt hours. So that's a four hour battery at, at full capacity. Um, so that's good to see. We do need a ton of storage on the grid. So this is good. Long duration energy storage for everyone, says USDOE, as McKinsey publishes advice to corporates. This is also good to see. Um, the consulting firms have a lot of sway on uh, corporate America. So that's good to see. Metal hydrogen battery. Going into high volume production, five gigawatt hours of customer orders. That's fantastic. That's well, more than three times what we saw in the Monterey uh, battery. That's good to see. We definitely need alternatives. I think we'll talk about this, but I, I do think we have to have alternatives to lithium, lithium storage, and they have to work and they should be cheaper. They're not cheaper yet. So we'll, we'll talk about that in a bit. Um, oh, this is the one. Alternative technologies may struggle to compete with lithium-ion as duration grows. This I disagree with. I think actually the opposite. I think lithium-ion will get more expensive, especially when you're competing with flow batteries, because flow batteries cost scales with duration much smaller uh, as you add duration. So I'm not sure I agree with that one. 20 gigawatt hours pumped hydro energy storage plant started operations in Switzerland. That's huge. Uh, I'm a big fan of high pumped hydro storage. It's the only way you're going to get huge volumes like that on the um, energy side, on the gigawatt hour side. They might still struggle. Right. You see here on the power side, they're only going to have 150 megawatts each, meaning max power of 900 megawatts. That means you can run this thing for more than. 20 hours so um yeah big on energy small on power uh number five here lfp to dominate three terawatt hour global lithium ion battery market in 2030 there's a lot of discussion here about uh, the top manufacturers uh china's catl south korea's lg have uh plans to add the most production capacity this decade uh so that's good to see I don't want to get into the whole discussion about global supply chains right now. Number four, expansion plan to take the world's biggest battery storage project to three gigawatt hour capacity. That's incredible. Back at the Monterey Bay site, they plan to nearly double it in size. That'll be interesting to see. We certainly need as much energy storage as we can get on the grid. Investigation confirms cause of fire Tesla's Victorian big battery in Australia. Ooh, a liquid coolant leak caused thermal runaway. So that's good to know that it wasn't some fundamental flaw um, and it was just a leak. So that's good to know. Number two, trying to get through these. World's first large sale sand battery goes online in Finland. This is interesting. First commercial sand-based thermal energy storage system in the world started operating in Finland. Very interesting. If you want to know more, you can look that up. And number one, world's biggest lithium battery storage facility now completely offline after a weekend incident. That's odd. This was um, the Moss Landing. This is the one back in Monterey, correct? No, I think it's a different one, right? Oh, is it a different one? I'm not sure. 
God. But that was back in February. Oh, jeez. Back in February. So, yeah, again, it just looks like operational issues. Nothing fundamentally wrong about it. So, yeah, I thought this was an incredible list. Um, you know, I actually took a little more draconian side about the Tesla fire in Australia. And ironically, I was talking to a good friend in Australia late evening yesterday, and he mentioned this uh, fire. You know, the coolant leak scares me because coolant leaks are going to happen. And when you've got these big storage facilities, that shows the volatility of lithium, right? So... Uh, I, you know, I don't know if I necessarily looked at them. My favorite one, I think, was this one here in Finland that you actually have the photo uh, up on the screen right now. <laughs> and I kept thinking to myself, man, try walking on the sand 500, 600 degrees, right? That's a, that's a, that's a hot day on the beach. But really, this is fascinating. <laughs> I kept thinking about all the U.S. Uh, shale supply chain companies that were trying to pump sand into the fracking system, only to have the uh, drilling companies get more uh, technologically sufficient, efficient and not using as much sand, frac sand, uh, when they were actually doing their shale manufacturing. So there's a lot of supply chain in America right now for getting sand to market. And so I'd like to see this technology come to the U.S. I think it would be really fascinating. Ah. Yeah, I'm typically not a huge fan of heat storage just because I'm a physicist and I know how hard it is to work with heat. So I'm constantly amazed at what they're able to do with heat and moving heat and heat conversion. So. Um, I feel, yeah. like the, I feel like the Finns know how to like do it with heat. <laughs> they, have to, they have to know. It's cold up there. <laughs> yeah. So it's very interesting to see. We definitely need a diverse group of energy storage technologies. That's why I don't like things where they say, oh, you know, lithium ion is the only way to go for everything everywhere. I just uh, I disagree. I don't think it will be the case. I'm happy to also see the four-hour battery you know, the cost of the four hour system come down because that really just helps solar immensely. Yeah. I mean, we're going to have to overbuild solar and then you're going to have to use it to deliver energy in the evening. So you got to have that two, four, six hour storage. It's, it's critical. We're, we're killing the duck curve. There you go. Okay. My other one is from the Los Angeles Times climate and environment section. Doom is not inevitable. <laughs> That's good news. <laughs> Top 10 climate lessons from 2022. Uh, this is by Sammy Roth on December 29. Another year gone by. Um, here we go. Number one, doom is not inevitable. Woo! The Los Angeles time has called it. And uh, yeah, so major climate bill passed this year. They're very happy about that. The Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, progress is not inevitable, though, as they say. Uh, renewable energy industry faced dramatic headwinds with supply chains, uh, power grid backlogs, I don't know what they mean there, and other logistics challenges uh, that we've had pretty much in every industry. So I don't think that's totally unique um, to us. Number three, the oil industry is far from dead. I don't think this is anything um, surprising or uh, that we should expect it to die anytime soon as we have so much momentum and oil and gas uh, in our homes and our, our automobiles. Um, so we, we should, we want a managed decline. <laughs> and I think that's the challenge there. Uh, we don't just want them to shut off immediately. Electric utilities will do what is best for them. This shouldn't be shocking. Um, you know, they're talking about like net energy metering going away which it kind of had to 
at some point, I think it's just uh, the, the richness of that rate is just going to decline a little bit, hopefully over time, and not, again, be a abrupt disruption in the market. Number five, uh, aridification is now the West's main water problem. I think we've all seen this. Lake levels in Lake Mead were just uh, monstrously low, not demonstrously, monstrously low. And this is a huge issue for the entire West. I just saw Arizona is kind of freaking out. They're going to build a new desalination plant in Mexico uh, on the the Gulf of Suez. uh, And they're going to ship the water up into Arizona. So water becoming more and more of an issue out West. Climate change is making it harder to solve climate change. (laughs) I mean, this is kind of what we just said. The effects of climate change are causing issues. Uh, for industries that are trying to fix climate change. So uh, that is very bad because this can snowball and then we won't, we'll have our hands tied when we won't be able to fix it. Uh, coal power is still dying. I've seen some articles that argue the opposite, but at least in the U.S., coal is on the decline. I see in Europe, I think it's on the increase because of the lack of natural gas from Russia. But here in the US, it continues to decline. Uh, keep an eye on hydrogen and nuclear. Both we would like to see expand on this podcast. Land use conflicts are on the, are on the rise. Excuse me. Um, talking about local opposition, which is interesting. Renewable developers say more land should be open to solar and wind farms. I agree with that. Uh, I just don't like to see environmentalists stand in the way of environmentally friendly power generation. That's always been an issue for me. And number 10, not every year will be hell. Uh, Okay, well, I guess that's okay. Um, But we continue to increase our output of renewable energy and displace fossil fuels uh, burning to generate power and move our vehicles. So we should be happy about that. And let's keep moving forward yeah so great article when i got when i got on it this morning to read it uh the most shocking thing was the sidebar article saying lebron james wants to be traded from the lakers <laughs> so i had to read that of course uh being a being a somewhat native clevelander secondly um yeah i thought these were all really good a couple of things that popped to mind were you know i understand those at the local level protesting solar and wind I think we got to be a little bit smarter about it. You know, we got to make sure that the land can actually have a dual use, like in the ag tech sector, or at least in the agricultural side of things. Uh, sorry, my phone just rang. On the agricultural side of things, um, they're talking about making sure that like, you can put solar farms in such a way that you can still use the land below it for agricultural usage. Right. I think these are the solutions that we need to come up with because land use and land scarcity is a legit thing, especially since, you know, there are parts of the U.S. meaning under drought conditions. So you don't want to necessarily put a solar farm in somewhere in which you have very farmable land, right? Right. I think you have to work around these issues. You know, we've talked about ad nauseum, you know, bird migration and wind turbines, right? And whale migration and wind turbines. There are going to be solutions and we just have to make sure that technology solves those for us. Um, But otherwise, I thought these are great stories. It's great that coal is just slipping away in the U.S. because there are other countries still using a lot of coal. And I think we come from a position of strength 
if we're going to politically force those countries to stop using coal as well. You know, we have to do it ourselves first. So um, overall, these are these are realistic and bullish stories that I think we put out here talking about 2022. It's not easygoing. It's not perfect. But the momentum is there. And that's the important part. Yeah, I mean, it's it's good to see progress continue to move forward. I'm I'm getting very excited. I I hope sodium batteries finally hit the market in scale. Uh, CATL is kind of leading that charge, so I'm really interested to see that. I don't know if you noticed, but GM lowered the price on the Chevy Bolt. It is now what is it, twenty six k? So after yeah. After the 7,500 rebate, that's below 20K to get you into an EV. I think that number is going to continue to decline. If you put, uh, you know, if you take another 3K off the battery cost by putting a sodium battery in there and, and you know, lose 10% of the range, it'll be down to 15K. I mean, this is just fantastic. Well, uh, I'd like to know, you know, I'd like to get into the profit, uh, P&L of the Chevy Bolt because there's a couple things to play. One is that's using the older LG GM battery tech that was designed for the Volt. So that plant has probably amortized a lot of its costs. So they're probably able to offer a cheaper vehicle as as such. It's not using the new Altium, uh, which is good. And then secondly, I think GM had to do that because when you're when you're talking about a hundred thousand dollar plus Hummer EV, you need to have you know the car for the masses, car for fleets, cars for Domino's Pizza. You know, Domino's is buying a bunch of the Chevy Bolt. So it was really smart of them to lower pricing altogether. And I'm not sure if that tax credit's going to stick around for the bolt, right? I mean, well, we should, we should it was be... in the Inflation Reduction Act they re-upped it. So, okay, yeah. Um, I mean, economies of scale are fantastic, right? And this is what we need to see. What you just said, if if we can get large amounts of EVs put out, you can amortize, you know, R and D costs and you know facilities costs over a larger number. And let's see how cheap we can make these things. What I worry about that, though, is when you have a GM building, you know, multi-billion dollar Altium plant with LG, and then all of a sudden solid state technology gets better, right? Are they going to switch the plant and have increased capex in the plant? Or are they going to try and ride out lithium ion? Now, look, I got to say with a vested interest, I've got a stake in a solid state battery company, but I'm a little bit concerned about that, is that technology may be hindered somewhat because of all the money spent today on lithium ion battery. Uh, I mean, it almost sounds like a first world problem because we need the money to be spent in order to get the down the road benefits from electric vehicles, you know, reducing uh, carbon in the atmosphere. But in some ways, it may actually slow technology development, too. Yeah, that's kind of the uh, technology investor's dilemma that once you pick a tech and throw a billion dollars into it, you're kind of stuck, right? Right. But, you know, when I was reading, when I was thinking about all the articles that I sent you and you sent me, and I had this big picture epiphany a couple hours ago. Think about like the supply chain issues they talk about. So rollout may slow up, you know, it, instead of like hitting targets by 2030, it may slip to 2035. And that could exponentially hurt our 2050 climate goals, which actually mm. can hurt the atmosphere. But then I pulled back and I thought, wait a second, we've got fusion in our back pocket. And what I mean by that is I want to, you know, tie into uh, the podcast we had last week with Stephanie Diem in that, she said that, you know, we're not ready to go commercial just quite yet on Fusion, but it's being worked on. And we're probably thinking about a 2040 rollout, you know, of, of any scale. But that could be a saving grace because it could be so incredible when something like a Fusion rollout takes place. It could make up for the delta 
of the slower rollouts of all the technologies we're putting to market today. Yeah, I mean, there's just been so many 10 years, it's 10 years out, decades in my life that I just, I I gave up on predicting when Fusion's going to be real. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, everyone we've talked to, including Professor Diem, Dr. Diem, feel really incredible about this announcement that took place. So, you know, at least we're on the right path for something meaningful to happen in 15 years. Well, if you want, we can have an episode on uh, actual fusion startups that have been funded by investors. You want to have an episode on that? I think that would be great. I would love to do that. We'll take a look. That's a geek out session for sure. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, you know, I will have to maybe talk offline, but you know, what what kind of guests we want to have? I do want to do a little bit more on ag tech, and I want to really focus on indigenous culture and ESG. I think that would be fun. I know that's not clean tech per se. Um, but I think that that's a big component of sustainability. Uh, I want to keep an eye on offshore wind because I think it's just fantastic what's going on there. And, um, obviously, uh, you know, construction tech is a big deal for me and, uh, with, with taking solo block, hopefully to the next level in 2023. So. Sure. Definitely. We know people in those areas, so we can definitely get some good guests, right? I think so. I think so. So 2023 is going to be a big year, I think. Yeah, maybe we'll kick off the year with uh, some kind of big picture forecasting, which, you know, not easy to do with all the changes. Predictions yeah. that I cannot be held to. <laughs> oh, I, I never like going back and looking at how people miss the mark, right? <laughs> people always uh, go back and find the ones where they were right, though, for some odd reason. Uh, fair enough. <laughs> How many people in January said, what? Russia's not going to invade Ukraine. Are you crazy? <laughs> Are you crazy? As soon as that Olympic torch was extinguished in Beijing, I mean, you know, we don't want to make light of the situation. Obviously, our thoughts and prayers with the people of Ukraine. But, um, yeah. you know, the people, there's so many people just, they tend to fall back and say, oh, I, did I say that? I don't think I said it that way. I don't know. Like, you know, kinetic war just never makes any sense to me. It, it still doesn't make any sense. Like, why would you think this is a good thing? What, how do you think this is ever going to work out for you? Mm. It's just not. It never does. What, why do you think kinetic war is the way to go? Yeah, maybe. But I'm looking forward to the people not investing in, in crypto exchanges that effectively funded people's, uh, you know, Caribbean island getaways. <laughs> um, money's going to be redeployed to something tangible like clean tech where you can actually see a product get built, made, and developed and deployed. I don't know. I mean, if you can't tell a scam artist when you see one, you know, never mind. <laughs> I, 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 I try to put as much transparency into my daily lives with stakeholders. And, uh, you know, you think you get rewarded for that, but the scam artists seem to win. Yeah, that's that's the horrible part is people like us suffer because all the investment dollars that we need to move technologies forward get put into these scams by these kids and that's just terrible Agreed. that's Agreed. the real loss that's actually a good segue into our disclosure so the views <laughs> and opinions expressed by lucas and i are not necessarily those of any organizations we happen to represent or be affiliated with and for any companies in which we discussed today that have public securities please talk to a registered knowledgeable educated investment advisor before making any purchase of said securities Yes, and you can find us on your favorite podcasting venue, 
you go to your favorite podcasting venue, like say Apple Podcasts or Spotify, just type in Pirates of Clean Tech and you click the subscribe or the follow button. You get notified when our podcasts hit. Uh, and also we're on YouTube. If you want to follow along on the articles with us, you search for Pirates of Clean Tech, you hit subscribe. Please hit the like button if you enjoyed this uh, this podcast. And also you can click the alarm bell and then you get a notification on your phone like I do when um, when our videos drop. Yeah. So, and, you know, before we hang up, I just want to say again, Lucas and I both want to say thank you to our viewers and listeners. Uh, we've had an incredible year of growth uh, with this podcast. And, and we, we slap ourselves and ask, why is this happening? Um, but we, we get such great feedback from people and constructive feedback too. Um, it's just really incredible. And, you know, we were... We got sometime about two months ago ranked what number five in a list of fifteen best sustainable. <laughs> Yay us! Yeah, that was that was our great listeners. Thank you for listening in. We appreciate it. We're working on some merch, maybe. So support the Pirates of Clean Tech logo right on your chest. So we'll have more news on that soon, hopefully. God, we could be like hipster cool. Right? <laughs> the new Brooklyn trend, yes. That's right. That's right. So I remember I was at a German embassy function once and they had they had a someone said uh, Berlin was the original Brooklyn. And I thought I really need to make T-shirts that says Berlin, the original Brooklyn. <laughs> That'll be one uh, in our store, I guess. I don't know. There you go. Well, with that, I'm Eric Planey. I am Lucas Finko. And Happy New Year from the Pirates of Clean Tech. Arr.